0: I'm really excited for you to meet today's guest, Shayna Harris, co-founder and managing director of Supply Change Capital. But before I introduce you, in today's episode, we talk a lot about the many lessons we wish we knew before we started our own ventures. As you continue to learn and grow your own business, I invite you to join me once a month in my exclusive group, Founder Confidential. From exclusive podcast content, ebooks, and monthly Zoom lessons with Q and A, we'll cover various topics on founding, growing, and selling a business. From time to time, I'll even bring on special guests and more. Click the link in my show notes for more information. We're kicking off in April. Today's episode is all about a topic I wish I had known more about when I started my own company, and that is raising capital and all of your options. This is something I am never shy to share, and honestly, I was so excited when Shayna Harris agreed to come on to today's episode. Shayna Harris is the co founder and managing director of Supply Change Capital, an early stage venture firm investing in the intersection of food, culture, and technology. She was previously the chief operating officer at one of my favorite companies, Farmer's Fridge, a network of automated smart fridges and then-chef curated meals. In addition, Shayna has advised brands such as Mars, Stonyfield, Unilever, and Starbucks on how to implement strategic sourcing and sustainability programs within their businesses. In today's episode, Shayna goes into a great deal on not only what her venture capital firm does, but how fundraising works in general. This is a do not miss episode for anyone starting a business or considering a fundraise. Come on in and meet Shayna Harris. So, today on the podcast, we have Shayna Harris, who is making waves for entrepreneurs. She is the co-founder of Supply Change Capital, but prior to starting her fund, she has a very long list of credentials that have put her in a place to be doing what she's doing today. So Shana, welcome to Dear Founder. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And I would love for you to get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself, about your background, about how you got to where you are today and where exactly it is that you are today and what is Supply Change Capital.
1: Yeah, well, I would be happy to. So I uh, am the founder and managing director of Supply Change Capital, co-founded with Nora May Kadina, who's a dear friend and colleague from business school. Uh, Supply Change Capital is an investment group. We do seed stage investments and really invest in the future of food at the intersection of food, tech, and culture. So that's what we're both doing today. Um, But my my background is maybe a winding road that, that led me here. Um, and I would say if you would have asked me 20 years ago, would I be sitting in the seat of investing seed stage capital in the, the innovators and entrepreneurs of the future, I would have said, I don't know. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about that background. I've uh, I spent my career in the food industry, um, really started out in the earliest days because I cared about sustainability and social impact. And uh, you know, something that really moved me when I was in college, um, I studied international relations, And I learned that most of the world's poor farmers live in rural regions. My grandfather had been a farmer in Germany and immigrated to Chicago after World War One because he couldn't make it on his family farm. And so that really resonated with me. I knew that I wanted to have a life of service and a a life focusing on issues bigger than than myself and, and, you know, my immediate kind of individual needs and and something there really clicked. And so that started kind of my lifelong love of, of agriculture and sustainability I, out of college, went to work for a nonprofit called Oxfam, working on sustainable ag systems, and I worked mainly in the coffee sector on specialty coffee, and that was with pioneers like Starbucks and Green Mountain. And that experience, which you know, led me to spend a lot of time on the ground in farming communities in Latin America and in East Africa, really got me to think about the role that the private sector and corporate America has to play in our food systems and sustainability. So, like at the core of it, you know, food food is a human right, and access to food is a human right. And really, how do we ensure that across the supply chain, you know, that is something that is that is um, upheld? And so, so I, you know, after spending many years kind of boots on the ground, traveling the world, I started to notice that companies were making commitments to sustainability. And I had the opportunity to go to MIT to get my business degree. Um, And at MIT, as I mentioned, is where I met my co-founder, Nora May. And coming out of MIT, I thought what I was going to do was, you know, really kind of forge change within corporate America. So I was recruited for a role at Mars uh, the the candy company, the 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 company that makes the m ms and snickers and in, in your Halloween candy baskets. um and i was um I was brought on board because I had spent so many years working in the fields of smallholder farmers. And what Mars was trying to do was figure out their cocoa supply chain, which is the main ingredient in chocolate. Mars is the largest buyer of cocoa in the world. And they wanted to know, you know how to how to bring an approach that they had had around philanthropy in cocoa growing communities into the core of their operations, meaning how do we buy cocoa that we know has been produced sustainably and that we're you know, supporting farmers and the environment as we do so. So that was about 10 years ago, that was um, in, in 2011. And it started a really interesting journey where I got to spend time in the boardrooms at Mars um, and, and understand what the motivations of the Mars family were around sustainability, which were really genuine. And um, you know they really wanted to be a pioneer and figure this out. And I also had the opportunity to spend a lot of time in West Africa, in the Ivory Coast, which is where about 70% of the world's cocoa comes from, and in Southeast Asia. And, um, you know, what I found over that period of time were just entrepreneurs were all around me. So there were entrepreneurs on the ground working on innovative approaches to farming. There were entrepreneurs creating new types of chocolate companies. There were entrepreneurs creating... Um, chocolate companies that had no cocoa in the chocolate. I was just surrounded by entrepreneurship and these kind of dynamic figures um, all the time and was really inspired by the innovative and creative thinking. And I realized that in order to really achieve sustainability in the food system or work towards that, we needed to have a lot more entrepreneurship in the ecosystem. And so um, through through that curiosity and through the community, I ended up meeting um, the founder of Farmers Fridge here in Chicago. And I decided that I wanted to jump into the entrepreneurial side of the food system. And so I joined the company as the first chief operating officer and um, really built that out brick by brick along with an incredible team. What we did was uh, create fresh food. We made these beautiful salads and mason jars and and, um, meals on the go that were better for you. Um, But really, the, the secret sauce or the magic was selling those out of vending machines so that we could. Put them in places where fresh food is really needed like hospitals and schools and then on the, back the airport end, like or the, the airport i mean
0: really and truly farmers fridge is the only, the only
1: thing i would buy at O'Hare to eat oh yeah I, i'm same boat and now now luckily you can find farmers fridge in chicago lax jfk so anytime you travel and um but the brilliance of it really is you know in fresh food businesses the reason they're so challenging to manage is that there's a lot of waste in the supply chain so you know Greens go bad quickly. Um, they're very perishable products, and so really, what was so fascinating about that model and compelled me to join the business is that there's a whole data component behind how the business ran around what types of meals do we need to stock at what time of day to reach what type of consumer. So it was a really, really fascinating time to build this company out that had manufacturing and operations in house, um, was building some very innovative partnerships on the the, the retail front. Um, And then had a whole technology team kind of behind the scenes. So it was fantastic. And I um, worked with a lot of folks that that we both know in the Chicago ecosystem and uh, and really got to watch people's careers grow as well. One of the things that happened over that time period is, you know, I still stayed in touch with folks at Mars. Um, have really great relationships with a lot of my former colleagues there. And I was asked to mentor on a program called Seeds of Change, which is for early stage entrepreneurs. And as I did that, and I got, you know, to know folks in the, in the innovation ecosystem in Chicago, kind of even earlier stage than, than Farmer's Fridge, um, I realized that I was providing a lot of advice around growth strategy because we had been on that journey. Uh, questions like, how do I make my first hire? How do I operationalize my vision? Kind of the the superpowers I would say that that I like to bring to the table. I really love working through those things with entrepreneurs. And then I was getting a lot of questions on financing and funding, and it was really things like if I don't have a friends and family network that can fund my first financing run, where do I go? Or I'm in the room, I can't even get in the room. Or if I'm in the room pitching, like my message isn't resonating. Can you help me with my pitch? And so I started to be really interested in the earliest stages of entrepreneurship, which is where you know, entrepreneurs kind of, are. it's like a make or break it if they get financing. And one of the companies in particular that I was mentoring through the Seeds of Change program, AMSAM, I ended up having the opportunity to do an angel investment in. Um, and it was kind of that experience in that moment, which led to the genesis of supply change capital. So what happened was I had the opportunity on this angel investment. And I called my friend up from business school, Nora May. Nora May is a brilliant engineer. She'd been, um, you know, in in the aerospace sector at Boeing for many years and then moved into venture capital. And she had about six years under her belt in the venture capital ecosystem. And I said, you know, there's an interesting opportunity I want to look at. Um, Would you give me your feedback? You know, and she, she had reached out to me because she was very interested in learning more about the food and agricultural investing ecosystem as well. And so she did, she took a look and she said, you know what? I want to angel invest too. And the conversation that we ended up having around this company was really incredible. We talked about a couple of different things. Number one, the co-founders are sisters, two women. One comes from the venture capital industry and the other comes from consulting. Um, But what's really interesting is that they are the daughters of Vietnamese refugees. They grew up eating incredible food in their family. They didn't find themselves represented in the marketplace And they decided to leave their corporate and venture careers to start a food business that was more resonant of their culture in a very kind of bold and contemporary way, very unapologetically. And that really resonated with us. And as we thought about the investment, we also realized there aren't a lot of women investing in the food space. Um, The space the venture space in general is is dominated by by male investors. Um, There aren't a lot of diverse folks investing in the food space. and. the pipeline, you know, there's just a lot of entrepreneurs that come from underrepresented backgrounds that aren't getting funded. So, you know, we thought that was kind of curious because the demographics of the U.S. have changed and are continuing to change. And if you're really going to invest in the future of food, we thought it was really critical that you were investing in entrepreneurs that represent the diversity of the U.S. So that was really the nexus of our thesis that led us to thinking about investing at this intersection of food technology and culture and Kind of led us to where we are today. So you know, something that I would love for you to explain,
0: and and I and I am going to ask you to do this out of my own experience. When I started my company, I didn't even know that I could like get funding. I that was I didn't even have a business plan. I just I started my company and I did it. And so as I went along, people were like, "Well, are you going to get investors? Are you going to get this?" and and I really had to teach myself what those options were mm-hmm. and what what it meant. What is angel investing? I didn't know what that meant.
1: Yeah.
0: And so I I think that having you here is so amazing on so many levels because I think that what you are doing is awesome and I think you're going to be you're going to lend so much incredible information in this podcast today. But the first thing that I would really love for you to do from where you stand is maybe Take a big picture for for the people who are listening, who are like, oh, what is angel investing? What is friends and family? And kind of maybe explain, like, what does this mean? What is a VC? You know, and I think it's funny because I think like you and I and we've been in this world for a long time. And so we know what these things are. But when you're first starting out, I put myself in that position 12 years ago yeah. I had no clue. I, I was like, yeah. what is, you know, yeah. and, and I had to come to these decisions on my own because I didn't really have
1: anyone to help guide me. Mm-hmm. That is a great, great, great question. And then thinking about a resource that actually are I spoke on a panel at the Chicagoland Food and Beverage Network a few months ago, and one of our friends just flashed up this slide, which was like the table that you would have needed when you started. And we all said, Why didn't we all see that years ago? So I think it's a great question. And and basically what it laid out is, you know, what kind of capital you can raise at what stage of revenue your company is at. Um, so it can break that down a little bit. So, so basically, you know, you hear this term angel or, or friends of family. Um, and what it basically means is, are there friends, colleagues, neighbors, family in your network? You could call up and say, hey, I'm trying to raise $20,000. whatever the amount is you're trying to raise to get your concept off the ground as a proof of concept, meaning you don't have revenue, you're pre-revenue, you're trying to get a prototype up and running. So, you know, if you're a food company, which is, you know, some of what we look at is our food products, other, our technologies. Um, But if you're um, a product, just because it's, it's kind of tangible, it's like, how do I get my first set of samples made? You know, and maybe that's in my kitchen and I'm, I just need to buy the ingredients or maybe it's, you know, I'm making this and I need to rent a commercial kitchen because, you know, I'm going to test it out at a market. I mean, there's just, you know, it really kind of depends on your business model, but your angel investors are kind of those first small checks that are a few hundred, a few thousand, tens of thousands, depending on the access to your network that can kind of help you get going. And those are folks that are really betting on you as a founder. Now, all along the way, investors are betting on you as a founder. But what happens is as you grow and as the revenue grows, they're also looking at a whole host of other metrics. As, as you know, Lindsay, you can definitely talk about that. So there is that friends and family funding. Um, then you know, as, as the company grows, there's a couple of options. So one option that's become more popular lately is called crowdfunding or crowdsourcing funds. And those are platforms like um, there are two different kinds of platforms. One is a platform that will take equity or ownership in your company. So that's like a republic. Or there's a non-dilutive source of funding, which means there's no ownership that that you know, entity will take. Um, and Kickstarter is an example. So a lot of Kickstarter campaigns will promise product you know, instead of equity. So there's different forms and you have to decide whether you're looking for that dilutive or non-dilutive capital. Friends and family money can be the same. It can be dilutive or non-dilutive. Although you know, many times I've seen that those are folks that are, um, as the amount of money grows, they are, you know, looking for some kind of a commitment, like a, a convertible note that can, you know, converts when you do raise more formal financing and, and they'd get some ownership in your company. So those are all options. There's also small business administration funding. There's local grants. Um, you know, there's accelerator programs. You could win a position and there's, there's all, all different approaches early on. But then as you start to grow, there are different options as well. So venture capital is one route that gets a lot of airtime in the ecosystem, um, but it's a very small percentage, I think maybe in the single digits of all the money that's out there that's going to finance um, founders that comes from venture capital. So that is one source. Um, And when you raise venture capital, there's different rounds. You have a pre-seed round, a seed round, a series A, and those are all typically linked to the revenue that your company has. Um, and how much traction you have. There's also um, debt, and that means you can go to you know go to a bank and get a loan and again not not everybody has that option available to them, but that is another option. Um, so these are all kind of different tools in the toolbox that you can use to get funding or financing. But when you're really, really early on, the critical piece of this is, you know, who is going to be able to lean in and bet on me and get me going? And I think one of the challenges in our ecosystem is that, um, the research has shown that women and people of color don't have equal access to those friends and family networks always for their ideas. So there are a lot of new venture firms that are starting up that are basically saying we will be your friends and family, you know, when if you don't have access to that network and they'll come in with a twenty five thousand dollar check. Sometimes it's dilutive. Sometimes it's not um, here in Chicago. There's a group called the Long Jump Fund, and it's a group of former founders that have come together. To write those initial friends and family checks, so we're in a really cool time, I would say, in in this ecosystem where there are a lot of dis- different solutions coming up to, to access funding and get your idea going. So tell
0: me a little bit more then about supply chain about supply chain capital and how it is that you are working. And I know before we hopped on, you said, "Okay, I'm." We're in the middle of a fundraise right now, and we raised half of our funds and we've invested in seven in seven businesses so tell our listeners what that
1: means and what it is that you do on a day-to-day basis yeah that is a really great question so the way that venture capital firms work is you raise funds and for each fund your firm will have an investment thesis which basically means here's you're defining here's the opportunity i see in the marketplace right so for us we're seeing opportunity in the food and agriculture ecosystem to bring technology, apply technology, and kind of new approaches to create more sustainable food systems. So we look at food and agricultural technologies like softwares, hardwares, on the farm, in the supply chain. Um, The way that this can intersect with your daily life is think about Instacart. Like who can live without it, but it is a completely new innovation from the last decade, you know, DoorDash, et cetera. So those are some examples of um, technologies that maybe touch us on a daily basis. Um, we also invest in um, consumer brand product brands. And there we're really looking for food products or beverages that are made by or for certain communities because we believe that many communities in the US, Latinx, Black, women, Asian American, et cetera, have been underserved. So we think this is a place where we're gonna find opportunity. And we also invest in ingredient technology. So obviously there's a big movement around alternative proteins, think about beyond meat. So those are the kind of sectors we invest in. And the reason I share that is each investment firm will have themes that they invest in. Even if they're a general investor, meaning I invest across industries, they'll have some way to narrow down their opportunity set. And then each fund will have a theme that you invest across. Um, So we are on our first fund right now. And we are um, actively investing. So, you know, we will invest in about 25 companies over the four years of, of this um, life cycle of this fund one. And then, you know, the idea is to keep keep building the firm so we can keep investing and supporting founders. Now, um, in terms of how we support founders, what's been really interesting is that Nora May and I, you know, we feel like we come at this with a lot of founder empathy, so, um, Nora May ran an accelerator program on Los Angeles for 22 early stage companies where she was on site with them every single day and could see the challenges that they were facing. And she shares that, you know, one of the common themes is around recruiting talent and retaining talent. So, kind of big focus there, right? Um, at Farmers Fridge, and then subsequently, I've sat on boards. So, I'm currently on three different boards in the food space. Um, you know, I often find that what founders, um, What's often not spoken enough about are the social and emotional support required for founders and founding teams and kind of the, really the leadership and management training and challenges that you're going to face over that period of time. My um, my executive coach, um, who is at a former company of mine, but I feel like forever will be a mentor, always framed this as you have to cross chasms throughout your professional career. And oftentimes, we don't have the tools to cross those chasms when we're growing so quickly. So Noramay and I put those two experiences together, and we're actually developing a program with Verde Associates, which is here in Chicago, and it's called Supercharge Three. And the idea is that we make the investment, we do a kickoff session with founders, understanding what their business goals and objectives are, how we can support. So that's, every firm's gonna do that. That's kind of the bread and butter. But really the specific value that we think we bring to the table that's different is we also um, give them access to a, a program that puts them in cohorts with other founders where they can gain tools around leadership, around management, around building culture into their businesses, around thinking about diversity and inclusion, um, you know, issues that are really, really critical to build a strong and enduring organization, but that so often aren't spoken about at the early stage.
0: And I want to piggyback on on what you just said and how important that is from two examples, like one from my own. I know I shared with you going into this conversation that I always just felt like I didn't have support. I didn't have investors. I bootstrapped until I sold my company. And, you know, and I'm I'm sharing this because when people are listening, I want them to know and to understand when they're looking at different opportunities that are out there, that it's not always just the financial and the check that you're going to get because these other resources that you're providing to those that you're investing in are just as valuable, if not more so. And, you know, and I think that that's really important. And another founder that I had on the podcast recently was telling me about her. She did a friends and family, but a big part of what she did. And she said to me was, I didn't want, I didn't just want their money. She said, you know, I, I needed partners in this and I, I wanted people that were investing in me, that that believed in me, but wanted to be a part of the business, and yep. that is what you are doing for these companies that you're
1: investing in. Yeah, that's exactly it, and it is it is the partnership, and it's the partnership in terms of what your firm's going to bring day to day, the network, the introduction you you can make, getting them prepared for the next round of financing. I mean, it's it's all that's all really a part of it.
0: I mean, because ultimately you. Want them to succeed. It's in your best
1: interest for them (laughs) to succeed. So,
0: exactly, yeah, giving them the tools is part of that. It's not just writing a check. Exactly, it is a lot more than the check. Today's episode is brought to you by Hivecast, an amazing agency providing high-quality podcast production made simple and affordable. I hit the jackpot when I came across Hivecast as I pieced together services from contractors all over the web initially to help me with my podcast. Hivecast was everything. That I needed all in one place. For just $500 per month, they not only produce and edit four episodes, but they also create the marketing assets. Emma, my account manager, is amazing, making sure that I'm on task and that we can schedule episodes regularly and by my deadlines. Honestly, the time saved working with Hivecast is worth at least triple what I'm paying. Their sister company, Fireside, offers other marketing services for small businesses, including social media management, Facebook and Instagram ads, search engine marketing, and so much more. Again, all at a rate palatable by a small business owner. The best part, there's no contract. You can purchase their services as needed on a monthly basis. Use the code FOUNDHER and save 50% off your first month of services. Give them a try. The decision to outsource this part of my business has surely saved me a ton in the long run, and it was the best decision I've made for my business. You know, um, one of the things that I wanted, I would love for you to kind of walk through too, is how do you find the investments? Do they come to you? Do you go to them? And what is the process? Like, what is what is the process? And when you find someone you're going to invest in, whichever way it is that you find them,
1: what happens? That, so that's a great question. So we actually track how we meet founders. We've looked at about 800 companies this year, just wow. this year. Yeah, it's pretty insane the the marketplace and all the innovation coming out. Um, so there's a couple of different ways. Um, you know, we bring professional networks to the table in the food and venture ecosystem. So we meet founders through professional networks. We meet founders through other investors we work with, and we also meet founders through events. So we try to really be out there in the ecosystem. Um, speaking at different events, hosting our own events, just finding ways to really build community, and it's been really interesting to do that over COVID. I think you know a lot of those then ended, has have ended up being virtual, so we've met a lot of founders virtually. Um, we look at deals when they come inbound to us. So you can actually there's an apply button on our website you can go to to submit your information, and you know we've also met through um, introductions. So what happens when a founder um, comes to us is we have every founder fill out an intake form. We think it's really important to have a consistent process. So even if it's like an inside introduction, we want them to fill out that intake form because we want to be able to make sure that we're treating everybody the same throughout the process. If they pass, you know, a number of um, kind of check boxes, meaning more more so than not, do we think that this is a venture backable business in terms of the scale, the idea, um, and their their traction and momentum? And does it fit with our fun thesis? So obviously it has to be food, food oriented. Um, then we typically take a 30 minute introductory call. And that 30 minute introductory call, we have a framework where we're evaluating founders against and asking them questions around this framework when we speak to them. And we've put it on our website because we want the whole thing to be transparent. So the framework is called the foods framework and it looks at founder, the opportunity, the dynamics, et cetera. It's the typical things that an investor will look at. What's your idea? Tell me more about you. Um, what traction do you have, you know, any kind of proof points? And then um, an additional piece that's really important to us in in, uh, in addition to really evaluating this from a financial perspective is, does this founder fit in our sustainability bucket, which is really looking at sustainability, health, or diversity? So is this a solution? Because we're so focused on you know investing in a healthier food system for tomorrow, making sure that there is an angle where this is either a founder bringing a healthier product to market it's a technology that's going to bring sustainability or efficiency to supply chains, you know, that there's there's a component that really drives with our thesis. So that first 30 minute call, that, that's what we're looking at. Um, and then from there, you know, that's gen- that can generally be with anybody, one of the partners, one of our fellows, um, et cetera. From there, if, if it's a go, so we every week we review opportunities in our deal flow meeting, then we'll start, you know, we'll have a partner call that's a bit longer, We'll ask for access to a data room in addition to a pitch deck and we'll start to, to dig in uh, further.
0: So, what would you tell anyone who is listening right now who wants to start the process of, of getting funding? And I, you know, I think it can be confusing. I think, especially if you are not in this space and in this world. I, I you know, mm-hmm. I, I think back to when I sold my business and I wasn't even getting funding, but I was, you know, it was I was selling. And it was real. it was a chance. It was, I had, I had to not only go through the process, but I was teaching myself how to, how to go through the process and what to do and what I needed. And thankfully I had some great mentors and resources, but you know, what would you tell someone who's listening? Who's like, you know what? I think I'm at the stage right now where I can go out to VCs and shop around my company.
1: What would you say? I think, um, Make sure that there's someone in your world you can have a finance conversation with, number one, to determine if venture capital is the type of financing that you need or if it's another type of financing. Because I think that there are a lot of really good businesses um, that may not jive with this venture scalability. So with venture capital, there's a certain expectation on period of returns, right? And so that you're going to be growing at a certain clip. And so I think it's really critical first to understand what type of capital do I need to grow my business and how much money do I need and why, right? So hopefully once you've got that, you know, you can, you put, you put a pitch deck together. That's something that any investor is going to ask you about. There is um, a blog post that somebody wrote years ago, Guy Kawasaki, and it's the 10 slides, You'll the only 10 slides you'll ever need to pitch an idea. And I always refer folks to that because I think it's kind of a tried and true first blush outline to how do I talk about my idea? It's like, here's the problem, here's a solution, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but make sure that once you've determined what kind of financing you need, you can put that deck together. Um, and then it's really about networking. So I've seen founders get access to investors by joining accelerator programs like Techstars or, you know, there's the Y Comedy, There's a lot of different uh, accelerator programs out there by joining incubators, um, you know, those are some resources and places to potentially start. And many cities around the U.S. do have those tech hubs. And a lot of times those tech hubs are funded by the city or supported by the government. And there are free resources there to kind of help you get started. So that's one way to do it. Another thing, obviously, everybody should do is just get on Google and get on LinkedIn. So, you know, that is where you'll start to understand what types of investors are out there and expect that you're going to have a lot of conversations. So you know, there's not really a great directory of of all the venture firms I can go to in the whole country that are going to address XYZ thing. You can definitely find directories out there. We did put one on our website that has about 150 firms that invest in food and ag tech. So we're trying to provide some services to the the sector in terms of what we're learning. Um, But there's not going to be one source of truth, right? In addition, the best way to have the conversations is to get a warm intro. So that's why sometimes being a part of these accelerator programs helps. One of the nice things is a lot of those are virtual now, um, but it can help you get the intro. Other founders are also really great ways to get intros. So if there are founders in your town or in your network or in your industry that you admire, that you want to ask for advice, that is also a really good way to get introductions to investors. So there's a couple of different avenues in, but it's like once you know what financing you want, you have the pitch deck, you then need to start really strategizing around who are the investors I want to target and how am I going to get introduced to them?
0: So I want to switch gears because not only are, you know, are you running a VC, you are an entrepreneur. And I, and like this is, you are the co-founder. And I think it's really important for you to weigh in here, both, you know, as someone who invests, but also as someone who started her own business And to share some of the lessons that you've learned along the way about starting your business. And so, you know, I guess my first question for you would be, you know, when did you decide it was it was time to leave corporate America and start and go out on your own? And I know I want to point out Mm -hmm. that you consulted and ran a consultancy first before you decided to um start this venture capitalist fund. So, uh, you know, I would love for you to kind of take us through that process and tell us how how did that happen? What happened?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think I always had it in me that I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. Um I've never had a job with a job description, even though I've worked in nonprofit, corporate America, fast growth startup like I've never operated with a job description. So, there's always been that kind of entrepreneurial spirit in me. Um, I honestly thought when I went to business school, that coming out of business school is when I would start a company. That's one of the reasons I went to MIT, because anyone who's an entrepreneur wants to to be at MIT, right? (laughs) Um, But I think part of me was really scared to do it initially. I mean, this is not a society that rewards women for being entrepreneurial. And you can just see it, 93% of venture capital dollars go to white men. So it is not a society that you know, has many entrepreneurial role models. I think they're starting to be more and more, but you don't often see that with women. You look at the dynamics on Shark Tank and they're pretty sexist. Um, And I think I was just scared, you know? So, and I I didn't, yeah, I didn't know it at the time though. So I thought, oh, I've got to go get these other skills. I am ultimately happy that I followed the path I followed. I don't have any regrets, but I do think I was ready for it um, from a skills perspective long before I was like emotionally ready to take that leap. Um, but you know, it just, there was this feeling and it was, um, you know, I was trying to figure things out right around the time when COVID hit and I just thought, if not now, then when, I mean, if not now, then when, and I think all roads would have led to this, you know, this founding or co-founding at some point, but COVID, I think really put things into perspective around what was important. Um, you know, the racial reckoning that happened in 2020, that it was there's a movement that many of us have been a part of for many years, but you couldn't really put words to it in the public in the public domain. And the way that we could start putting words to this last year um, was really another call to action moment where I thought, you know, whatever I do, I'm gonna really stand up deeply for my beliefs and call out racism and sexism and all these imbalances when I see them because I think that we can create a model that does things differently. So it was like, There was that, there were those kind of moments happening socially and politically. Um, And then I really just had the good fortune and, and luck in that moment to reignite a series of conversations with Nora May that ultimately led to thinking about the next stage of our career. And we both said to each other, you know, we want to think of this as the last stage of our career in the sense that what we do next, we want to be what we do for the rest of our lives. We want to be in the driver's seat. We want it to be totally reflective of ourselves and our values. And so um, so I think those were the driving forces. And you've got to have whatever that fire is in your belly, as you know, like you've got to have it to get through all the highs and lows and ups and downs. Because when you're starting something from scratch, you know, um, I've been consulting. I haven't taken a salary from this for the first year. I mean, many entrepreneurs will bootstrap it as long as they can. Um, and I feel like that's not as often talked about, but it is the reality. You gotta oh, have Thank you for saying me. that because
0: I, you know, I've had so many conversations with founders here about that. And I so appreciate when someone does say that because having come from that, mm-hmm. again, I'm gonna go back to saying like it was really lonely. And like you you look at what other people are doing, no one talks about that. Everyone just, you know, shows yeah. their like. Wall Street Journal articles and their yeah. their press and you think they're killing it. And it's not until someone doesn't kill it that you realize, oh, that was they really weren't killing it. You know yeah. what I mean? No yeah. one talks about the hard parts. Yeah. And yeah. to your point, so many entrepreneurs are bootstrapping mm-hmm. and they're working round the clock to get to that next step.
1: Yep. Absolutely. And no yeah. one yeah. says it. No one says it. No one says it. And uh, I think sometimes that's the reason that entrepreneurs want to jump to venture capital quickly. But the warning I want to put out there right now is like the market is very flush with cash right now. And I'm actually worried that a lot of entrepreneurs who ran out to raise rounds this year and just took a lot more than they needed because the market was there and they're overvalued. I think they're going to be running into some challenges next year because when you take venture capital funding at a certain valuation... You're going to be then expected to hit some pretty aggressive goals in the subsequent months and years. Um, And so I I do think that, you know, because this market condition, we're in a so flush with cash and entrepreneurs are like, oh my God, I don't want to bootstrap it. And it seems like it's something glorious. A lot of people will rush out, raise a lot of money, and sometimes too soon. So I do think getting into the journey, that's why I say, like, have a good friend who's in finance that you can talk to that will, like, level set you. Um, But I think getting into the journey, having some expectations and being realistic that, there will be a period of time where you'll be bootstrapping and how are you going to do it? And can you do it? And, and kind of getting through that phase.
0: When you and Nora May initially made that angel investment, was that before your, your fund was like official? Was that kind of, yeah, that was kind yeah. of like so what pushed
1: each, you into it, this? It yes, is. We each did it individually. Okay. Yeah. We each looked at the company individually and then we talked about it. We had each decided to make the angel investment and then we were like, huh this is an interesting conversation. We are seeing an opportunity that we don't think others are seeing in the market.
0: So what would you tell entrepreneurs, people who are starting out, what what would you say to them? Like you just did this. I mean, you, and you kind of did it twice. I mean, really your consultancy is, is an entrepreneurial venture. It's different than you starting the VC, but
1: what would you tell people who are starting this journey today? Well, I think, you know, you're ready when you can't stop thinking about it, when it's like, this is the thing that you're obsessing about in your head night and day for better or worse. (laughs) So, so, you know, you're ready when you know you're ready. And I think the biggest thing is to just go for it. I mean, there were different points in my life when I didn't go for it. because I mentioned I was scared for one reason or another, and those probably weren't the times for me to go for it because I don't know if I would have had the resiliency and if I would have really had that fire in my belly to kind of push it through. Um, so I would say if you feel that and it is the thing you are obsessively thinking about, then it's time for you to do it. And I would say definitely be realistic that for the first couple of years, you probably have to be resourceful (laughs) around, you know, how you're living and uh and and kind of how you're making it work. There are entrepreneurs that do, you know, side hustles, mentoring, you know, join boards. Um, there are different things, you know, do small scale consultancies. There are different things that entrepreneurs will do to kind of get through that time period but ultimately you need to make sure you're spending, you know, a hundred percent of your regular hours on your venture. And then kind of all of that comes afterwards. Um, so I don't know, but I just, it's like, despite all the, all the voices in your head saying, but what about this? What about this? If it is the thing you can't stop thinking about, then you're meant to do it.
0: Shani Harris, thank you so much for being here today for sharing your knowledge. I, I mean, truly, I wish that I had been introduced to you 10 years ago and I'm so glad that I'm able to introduce you to all of our listeners today. So thank you so much for being here and for being one of our first guests on your Founder. Thank you. Shayna Harris had some amazing takeaways from today's episode. This is truly all of the info I wish I had 10 years ago and before I sold my company. So take out your pen and paper. Here we go. Number one, if you need to raise money for a proof of concept, a friends and family round is the way to start. Early on, you're going to ask your friends, family, colleagues, and those in your network who's going to be able to lean in, bet on you, and get you going. But one of the challenges in business today is that women and people of color don't always have access to those friends and family networks. Shana and her team are helping to try to fix that. Number two. When you raise money and take on investors, you want to think about the added experience and resources that come along with that check. You want a partnership. What will the firm bring you day to day? What is their network like? How will they help you to get ready for the next round of financing? And ultimately, how are they going to help you succeed? Number three. VCs generally find founders through professional networks, other investors, events, and building community. Many VCs also offer applications through their website, but it is so important to network. Number four, when thinking about fundraising, make sure there's someone in your world that you can have a finance conversation with to determine the type of financing that you may need or will work best for your company. Number five, you're going to need a pitch deck if you're going to raise money. Guy Kawasaki has an amazing article that features 10 slides you'll need to pitch an idea. Check it out for a first blush outline at a pitch deck. Number six, you're going to have to, you are going to have a lot of conversations when you start to raise money, no matter how it is that you're going to do it. You want to network, you want to join programs such as incubators and accelerators and tech hubs in your city in order to help get you started. Get on Google and LinkedIn and start to do your research. Number seven: Get warm intro to leads. Get a warm intro to leads for fundraising. Utilize other founders or networks that you belong to to get introductions to investors. Number eight: The market is flush with cash right now, especially over the last couple of years. But if you take more than you need, you may run into challenges if you don't meet the aggressive goals tied to the cash. You want to make sure that you don't raise too soon. Number nine. When starting a business, you know you're ready when you can't stop thinking about it. You just have to go for it. Number 10, be realistic that for the first couple of years when you start a business, you'll have to be resourceful in terms of how you're living and how you're making it work. I cannot thank you enough for being here today and for joining us on today's episode of Dear Found Her. Make sure that you follow at Lindsay Pinchuk and at Dear Found Her on Instagram. You can also go to LindsayPinchuck.com slash freebie to download some of my tips, tools, and resources for starting a business and for managing the social media beast. As always, we have some amazing guests coming up. So please make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow us wherever it is that you listen. If you know someone who wants to start their own business like Shana or who has started a business or who has an amazing idea for a business, make sure to text them this episode or post it on your Instagram. Especially do so if you know someone who's interested in fundraising. Tag me and I'll reshare some of those to say thank you.